Olivia's news that she and B are in some bar somewhere, the police in attendance, leaves me speechless, and also confused. Olivia's talking to me as if I've been with her and B all evening, and I know the whole backstory. She tells me that B's drink has been spiked, and as a result, B has gone crazy. Olivia, what do you mean, I ask? How can B's drink have been spiked? What drink? I can hear the hum of voices occasionally raised in the background. They can't be on the beach. Who of the octogenarians and the families would be there at this hour? Where are you? We're in Glitter Music Bar. But where is that, Olivia? I don't think there are any late-night bars in the town we're staying in. Maybe in the summer, but not out of season like it is now. It's called Glitter Music Bar. It's just across the water, near the restaurant we went to the other night. I really don't think it is. Okay, Olivia, I'm going to hang up the call now and find out where Glitter Bar is. When I know that, I'll get in the car and come and find you. I'll call you back as soon as I'm on the way, so keep hold of B's phone. And then, before I ring off, I add, What's she doing now? She's screaming and crying. The police are trying to make her sit down, but she doesn't want them to touch her. Shit, fuck, shit, fuck. Okay, Olivia, I'm coming to get you. Tell B I'm coming, and I'll ring you straight back. I hang up. I'm shaking, my palms sticky with sweat, whilst the rest of me is freezing cold with terror. I Google Glitter Music Bar. It's in the next town along the coast, a far bigger town with several large tourist hotels. How on earth did the girls get there? Why did they go there? I pull on a maxi dress over my pyjamas, shove my feet into my trainers, grab the car key and the house key and leave. I've had two glasses of Carver and I never normally drive if I've had a single drop of alcohol, but I have to do this. I feel completely sober. Can fear do that? Eradicate the alcohol from your veins? Shutting the house door as quietly as I can, I cross the road to the car. It purrs into action. I jab the address into Google Maps on my phone, wishing I'd taken the trouble to learn how to use the in-car sat-nav. I hadn't seen any reason to. I had directions to get here from Frankie, and I hadn't intended going anywhere I didn't already know the way to. As I set off, I call B's number again and put the phone on speaker. Olivia, I say, as I follow the single-lane one-way system between the old stone houses onto the main road. You're not just across the water, you're in another town altogether. How did you get there? In a taxi. We asked the waiter at the restaurant if there were any bars still open, and he said go to Glitter. We said how do we get there, and he said he'd call us a taxi, and he did. He came here with us, but I don't know where he is now. My heart sinks. This waiter has probably scarpered at the first sign of trouble either because he was the one who spiked B's drink or because he just doesn't want the hassle. Okay, I say. My mind is racing, trying to make sense of what the hell is going on with B. As I drive, bent over the steering wheel to better see the road ahead, I roll my shoulders, trying to relieve the tension and stress contained within them. And what happened when you got to the bar? I ask Olivia. He bought us drinks and then we went to the toilet. When we came back, I didn't drink any of mine, but B did, and almost immediately she was going crazy. She's sure it was spiked but we don't know who by. Nearly everyone here is English, and they're really friendly. Okay, I repeat. Has B's drink really been spiked? Or has she just had too much alcohol and lost the plot? Well, look, I'm coming. I'm on my way. I'll be as quick as I can. I'll phone again when I'm getting near. Stay with B and look after her. I will. And thank you, Olivia, for what you're doing. You're a good friend to B. I vaguely know the way to the town the girls are in, or at least I know that it's signposted but it's been a long time since I have driven at one in the morning on deserted island roads. In fact, have I ever done that? I'm not sure I have. The sky is pitch, pitch black, and the road has neither street lamps nor cat's eyes to guide me. 
When I'm about five minutes out of our town, I realise why there's no moonlight. Because the cloud cover is absolute, and now those clouds open and the downpour, when it comes, is torrential. Sheets of rain hammer against the windscreen, so hard that the wipers struggle to keep up. The water quickly begins to gather by the sides of the road, and, as my tyres hit the pools, great plumes rise up, obscuring my vision to my right. Though my only desire is to get to the girls as soon as possible, I have to slow down to a twenty-mile-an-hour crawl. As the wheels turn, I fight the urge to break down and cry. The despair I feel is unlike anything I've ever experienced before. I can't do this, I think. I just can't do this. I'm alone, abroad, no real idea where I'm going and what I'm going to find when I get there. I don't want to be here doing this. I really don't want it. The rain lashes down and suddenly I'm aquaplaning on a flood of undrained water. I fight to maintain control of the car, manage it just as an oncoming vehicle appears over the brow of a hill. My heart is beating out of control and fear pulses through my veins. But it's okay. I'm still on the road, still in one piece. I want to pull into the side, stop the engine and cry. I want to give up. But then I think of B, needing me, in a desperate state, and I muster every bit of resolve I can find and tell myself that I must do it, that there is simply no other choice. I take a left turn, back in the direction of the sea, where the town sits on two deeply inset bays and a marina. There's a series of roundabouts, one after the other, and I'm trying to follow Google Maps, but the street names it keeps throwing out at me are incomprehensible. I call Olivia again. I'm in the town, I tell her, but I'm not having much luck finding this place. Olivia hands me to some English person in the bar who is clearly very drunk, and as such believes that they are talking complete sense, when in fact what they're coming out with are incomprehensible instructions. At the taxi rank go straight on, slurs the voice. I've no idea where the taxi rank is. When you pass the hotel, turn right. What hotel? There are lots of them here, dozens, scores. I drive round and round, getting nowhere. The rain is still cascading down. I start seeing the same roundabouts again and again. Eventually, I arrive for the second time at the one that has the town name in large, 3D letters in its centre. I pull over and rest my head on the steering wheel. I don't know what to do. I can't find Glitter Music Bar, and I never will be able to. B is suffering, and I'm not there, just like I wasn't there on the night of the attack. I'll never be there when she needs me. I'll always let her down. I call Olivia once more and explain that I must be only moments away, but that I'm also completely lost. Olivia puts me on to one of the policemen. Imagine having British police officers who could converse on the phone with someone in Spanish, I think, as the PC says hello in English. I'm sorry, I say, and my breath comes in great, shucking sobs. I fight to control my voice before continuing. I need the police to think I'm capable, responsible. I am capable, responsible, I tell myself. I can't find this glitter bar, I explain, trying to keep the despair out of my voice. Google Maps is just taking me round in circles. I can't find this bar. The policeman tells me to stay where I am at the letter roundabout and they'll come and find me. Amidst the torrential downpour, I realise I can hardly be seen and put on the hazard lights. The police car arrives less than five minutes later. As it draws alongside me, the rain begins to ease. I signal that I'll follow. 
As I had suspected, the bar is only a few minutes' drive away, down about the only road in town I haven't already tried, part of a strip of restaurants and cafes. The police pull up outside and I find a space where I need to parallel park. To my great amazement, I perform the manoeuvre easily and in one go. Those two glasses of carver seem to have had a positive impact on my driving skills rather than a negative one. Once I'm out of the car, I apologise to the police for needing them to guide me. It's all right, one of them says. Not all the streets around here are even on Google Maps, so it's pretty hard to find your way around. I catch sight of B sitting in a chair, surrounded by drunk people. Rushing over to her, I put my arms around her. It's okay, I say, echoing what I had said to her on the night of the rape. Mummy's here now. You're safe. It's all okay. I turn to the police officers. I'm so sorry for all the trouble this has caused you. Thank you so much for all your help. What do you think about the drink spiking? Is that likely? One of the policemen shrugs. It's not impossible, Bert. The doctor came. She thought it is too much alcohol. It's news to me that a doctor was called. The doctor gave her a tranquilizer. Her advice was she needs to sleep. I'm stunned. Imagine a doctor coming out in the night in the UK to help a random tourist. Oh gosh, right, I say. So do I need to find this doctor and pay her? I'm relieved at that moment that I took full insurance for the holiday, the price of which went up from £25 for five days to £50 once I'd declared B's eating disorder, anxiety and depression. No, it's fine. It's an emergency. No charge. I'm stupefied at the thought of a health system where there is a doctor available to come out at night, administer medication for a drunken tourist and do it for no charge, but I accept with gratitude. I thank the police officers profusely and they tell me they'll call in an hour to check B is okay and to get her passport number, which I haven't thought to bring with me. Olivia and I bundle B into the car. She's obsessed with the fact that her drink was spiked and keeps going on and on about it. In my stress and exhaustion, my patience wears thin. B, honestly, I don't know if it was spiked or not. The doctor you saw thinks you just had too much to drink, so... You don't believe me, she screams. You never believe me. You're the worst mother in the world. I want to get out. Let me out. She starts pushing at the seat in front, shaking the car door, stamping her feet. I jump out of the car, incensed with rage, my anger giving me strength. I fasten her seatbelt and shut the door, then immediately get into the driver's seat and start the ignition. I've already found out that this car automatically locks the doors when the engine is running, like black cabs in the UK. Thank God, B can't jump out as we're driving. Pulling out of the parking space, I manage to give the police a grateful but cheery wave. I don't want them to see, hear or sense what is happening in the car. B is whispering in the back. She's phoned another friend back in the UK and she's talking furtively to whoever it is. My drink was spiked, she whispers. But my mum doesn't believe me, but I know that it was because Olivia was fine and she didn't drink any, but I did. Another bout of fury seizes hold of me. What the hell is Beatrice thinking? Can't she see how much I'm doing for her, how hard I'm trying, what I'm sacrificing? Whether your drink was spiked or not, I say from the front, loud enough to drown out B's voice but not shouting. We spoke only last night about the dangers, about not accepting drinks, about never leaving your drink alone. You said it was safe, she yells. You said Mallorca was safe. It's your fault. You said that. I open my mouth to utter a retort and immediately shut it again. I did say that, because I thought it was, and indeed, still do think it is. I don't think Bee's drink was spite. I think she had too much alcohol, mixed her drinks, and drank whilst also taking a strong antipsychotic medication. 
but B sees my disbelief as a betrayal, as treachery, as lack of support. I said that it's safe if you're sensible, just as anywhere is safe or dangerous in relation to your own behaviour, I answer. I'm trying to stay calm, but I can hear the lecturing tone in my voice and I hate it. I should just shut up. I'm willing myself to shut up, but I can't. In the aftermath of this hideous night, this horrendous drive, I have to say my piece. It's just not a good idea. It's never a good idea to go off to a bar in a completely different town in a taxi you haven't booked yourself. My voice rises at the end of my sentence. He told us it was only just across the water, interjects Olivia in a tiny, meek voice, only 15 minutes away. Which I guess is true if you're a local and if you're not driving in a torrential rainstorm in the pitch dark along roads you barely know. B cusses and swears in the back of the car and I fume and seethe in the front. Poor Olivia is caught in between. Olivia is directing me and we take a turning, signposted to our town, but not one I recognise. Once we've been driving for a minute or so, I realise Google Maps has taken us down a back road. It's a single lane, enclosed by high banks, hedges and walls on both sides. There's no way two cars could pass, and I pray that we won't meet anything coming in the opposite direction. I've managed so far, but backing up for miles on a road like this would finish me off, for sure. B kicks the back of my seat and I ask her to stop. No, she shouts, I hate you, I hate you, I hate you. We're by the entrance to a country hotel and I slam on the brakes. I ask Olivia for the phone. I want to check where we are and where we're going. I cut the engine and B sees her moment. She opens the door and leaps out. She's running in the dark and the cold and the intermittent drizzle. Simultaneously, Olivia and I leap out and run after her. I'm screaming, B, come back, it's dark, it's late, we need to get home. She stumbles on, but we catch up with her, Olivia and I, and we both take an arm and lead her back to the car. Just get in, I say, and let's get home. We set off again. Soon the pale hue of the sea comes into vision ahead of us. We enter the town in a place I recognise, and I tell Olivia she can turn maps off now. In silence we proceed through the empty streets, past bars and restaurants closed and shuttered. No one around, not even a stray dog to be seen. Back at the house I settle B into bed. She's calmer now, the tranquilizer administered by the doctor starting to take effect. I say goodnight to Olivia and thank her for being sober and together enough to help me get them both home. It'll be okay, I reassure her, because I know I'd want to hear those words if I were her, and in fact I'd like to have someone say them to me. But there's no one to do that, and though I could say them to myself, I don't. I'm simply not sure that I believe them any more. The house is utterly quiet, so I'm hopeful we didn't wake Frankie and Gareth when we got in. The dog clearly isn't much of a guard animal because there's not a peep from her either. I'm about to crawl into bed when the phone rings. I snatch it up and race downstairs. It's the police. I give them B's passport number and thank them again. In bed at last, I want sleep to take me and grab me and pull me to that place of unconsciousness where I can forget all the trauma and upset. But it eludes me. It must be four or five in the morning before I fall into a fitful slumber. I've left a note on the kitchen table letting Frankie know we might sleep in late, but I'm wide awake at nine. I smell the scent of coffee drifting up to me from the kitchen and get up, hardly able to believe I'm actually here, and everybody's here with me, and I've not got to drive to some hospital somewhere to minister to be. Downstairs, Frankie is arranging fresh pastries on a plate as Gareth makes the cappuccinos. When Frankie catches sight of me, she gasps in horror. I must look even more awful than I feel. 
Oh, Lisa, she says, I only just read your note. You poor, poor thing. Why didn't you wake me? I shake my head, pull out a chair, slump down onto it. There's no way I would have got you up in the middle of the night. It's okay. Anyway, I got there. I got them both back safely. All's well that ends well. Frankie shoves the pastries towards me. I think you need sustenance. She turns to Gareth. Have you got a coffee there for Lisa, she asks. Gareth produces a mug filled with hot, steaming liquid and puts it before me with a flourish. Voila, he says. I drink the coffee, feeling its heat wash down my throat and into my stomach, relishing its warm comfort. The girls are all still asleep upstairs. Right here, at this moment, there is nothing to fear. If only that were always the case, I'm so tired I would have lain down and slept forever. We had made a plan, before the fateful night out, to go to the town that is the proud possessor of Glitter Music Bar to do some souvenir shopping. Bee and Olivia wanted little gifts to take home for friends, and Iris had some spending money in euros that she'd saved from pre-pandemic holidays that was burning a hole in her pocket. It's strange, getting back in the car in the bright light of day, the sun breaking through the early morning cloud, tinging the harbour water gold. In the daylight, I can't understand how I got so lost the night before. It's amazing how different everything looks when it isn't pitch dark and pelting with rain. Bee and Olivia go off together, having agreed to meet back at the car in an hour. Iris and I while the time away in various shops, admiring the jewellery, trying on rings, picking out pretty bracelets and earrings. Iris finds a lovely hanging lantern, designed to look like a birdcage with a sculptured bird on the top, which she buys for her bedroom back home. Purchases made, the four of us head for the beach. The weather is the best it's been, the sea dotted with heads of swimmers bobbing up and down, or doing vigorous strokes backwards and forwards across the narrow bay. I get out the food and offer it around. Iris and Olivia eat, but Bee doesn't. When she's finished, Iris asks me if I'll go swimming with her. Definitely, I say. I stand and tie my hair up, glancing at Bee as I do. She's sitting on her towel, head in her hands, her legs shaking involuntarily the way they always used to at the height of her eating disorder. A swell of love washes over me, just as a sudden rush of waves wash onto the beach. I go over to her, sit down next to her, and put my arm around her. Come on, Bee, I whisper. It's okay. I love you. I'll always love you, no matter what. The only thing I worry about is that you're safe, and you are, so it's all okay. She lifts her head, and I see that her eyes are red from crying, her cheeks streaked with falling tears. I don't think I've ever seen her look so miserable. I'm so sorry for what I said. I didn't mean any of it, she blurts out. I hate myself for being so mean to you. I don't know why I said those things. They're not what I think. Not at all. The opposite. I love you. I know what you've done for me. She's sobbing and gasping and choking on her words, barely able to breathe. I hug her, draw her towards me, kiss her forehead. It's all right, I say. I know it was just the drink talking. I know you don't mean it. I love you. I'll always love you, no matter what you do and say. You just need to be careful with the alcohol and the medication. I will, Mummy, I will. I'm so, so sorry. It's fine, Angel. It's fine. There's no need to cry. It's all fine. Iris is waiting patiently, running handfuls of sand through her fingers, watching and listening, quiet as a lamb as always. Come on, I say to B. Come swimming with us. 
Bee nods, wiping her nose on her arm. In the water, we dive beneath the surface to watch the fish darting here and there. Olivia has bought a waterproof housing for her phone so that she can take pictures of the underwater rock formations for her A-level art project, so we splash around trying to find the best, prettiest places. By the time we get out, half an hour has passed, and the beautiful, clear blue sea seems to have washed away the grief and pain and sorrow of earlier. We clamber over the rocks to one of the platforms where we all jump in and swim to the shore. We only leave the beach when the sun starts to disappear behind a cloud. Our last day in Mallorca is drawing to a close. Bye-bye sea, I say as we get into the car. Bye-bye beach. Bye, echoes Iris. Bye-bye glitter-bloody music bar, I add silently to myself as we pass the end of the street it is on, and good riddance.